for the rest of us. What's up, family? How we doing? Good, good. I want to uh, talk a little bit this morning about uh, community, the first church as community, the first church as community. It's, um, I want to start this morning with a quote um, that I recently read, um, a 2018 January article from the Globe and Mail, the Globe and Mail. And it, it is an article dealing with the medical connection to loneliness. Um, the author writes, Dr. Chris Fagundes wanted to study how loneliness affected the way people felt when they were ill. So the assistant professor of psychology at Rice University and his team recruited 213 healthy participants and asked them about how lonely and socially isolated they were. Then the researchers gave each participant nasal drops containing one of the viruses responsible for the common cold. And they sequestered them in separate hotel rooms for five days and asked them to record how they felt. When Fagandes and his team analyzed the study results, they made a curious finding. Put simply, lonelier people feel worse when they are sick than less lonely people, Fagandes and his co-authors wrote in their 2017 paper. Fagandes says he suspects that the increased misery is not just a matter of perception. Loneliness, it seems, actually does make people sicker. Study after study suggests loneliness is a health hazard, raising a person's risk of a wide range of illnesses from cardiovascular disease and cancer to depression and dementia. An often cited 2015 meta-analysis from researchers at BYU showed loneliness and social isolation are as deadly as well-established risk factors such as obesity, smoking, and lack of physical activity. End quote. What does this article have to do with this morning's message? This article shows that even science has confirmed a reality that God has obviously always known from the beginning concerning his creation. And that reality is this, that we don't simply need to hang around each other because it's a neat thing to do. We need one another because at the very core of our humanity is the need for connection. In the very fiber of our being is the need for connection. So much so that when that need is not being met and fulfilled, literally, we can die. Physically, die. I've mentioned this before, but if you've noticed one of the things that happens oftentimes in the, in, 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 in the experiences of life as it relates to our elder brothers and sisters a lot of times what you'll see is that if one of the spouses in a married couple dies, it's not that much longer before the other spouse goes along with them. And we sometimes don't understand what's happening, but there is a connection that is severed, and if that connection is not replaced, then the, then, then the literal healthiness of that person is at risk. One of the greatest punishments available to break a person down psychologically, emotionally, even physically, is solitary confinement. You give, a, you give a man, you put a man behind bars, but you give a man community behind those bars, 
and the opportunity for connection behind those bars, and you leave that man with hope. But if you take the opportunity for connection, you take the opportunity for community away from that same man, and you place him in a place by himself, then virtually all hope begins to fade away. To further this truth, we don't have to look any further than Genesis 2. Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord and all of his good building and his good creation creates heaven and earth, creates animals, creates, uh, creates vegetation, creates um, the divisions between air, sea, and land, creates birds and, and the fowl, fowls of the air and the beasts on the ground and the insects and says all this is good and creates man. It says this is good. And then he declares something not good. And what does God declare not good? Verse 18 of chapter 2 in Genesis, he declares not good that man should be alone. And now in Acts 2, we have further evidence and further establishing of this truth by God. So we should... In other words, we should not consider it strange when we look at Acts chapter 2 that the, that the very first move of the Spirit following the preaching of the gospel and the salvation of 3,000 men and women is the establishment of genuine, bona fide Christian community. That's the next thing that happens. Literally, verse 41 says, after Peter's sermon, 3,000 souls were added to the church, and then we move exactly a beeline from verse 41 to verse 42 where we begin to establish the church as a community. It's because community, genuine, bona fide, spirit-empowered community is at the heart of the Christian life. Now let's understand a few things about community. One mistake we must never make in describing the Christian community is that it is like any other community um, in our, in our creation, in our world, in our life. We don't want to give that impression because the Christian community is not a civic group. The Christian community is not a social club. The Christian community is a family born of God, empowered by God, and made for God. The church is a community, but it isn't just any community. The, the church is the divine community. Notice, notice when this community is forged. This community is forged in Acts chapter 2 after the Spirit comes. This community is forged after the Spirit comes, only after the arrival of the Holy Spirit with fire and the declaring of God's glory through other languages in chapter 2 does this, does this community um, birth. But not only does it come after the Spirit comes, it comes after the gospel is proclaimed. The apostle Peter preaches the gospel and a divine community is born of divinely awakened people. It is not just a clutter or a collection of just anybody. It is a community of people who have been born again, who have been made alive through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is because the Christian community is not established by common preferences. And the, the Christian community isn't, isn't established by common interests. We don't gather around our, 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 our similar likes as it relates to 
sports or foot, you know, football, basketball, baseball. We don't gather around our similar likes as it relates to hobbies. We don't gather around our similar likes as it relates to our entertainment preferences and choices. We gather around this common bond that has been forged between us through the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us. And we gather around this common bond that's been forged between us through the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has awakened our souls together. What joins us together is not something born out of natural means. What joins us together, if, if, if that was all there was to it, then we would be no more than a social club. If we were gathered around common interests, common likes, common preferences, we might as well be the Kiwanis. Shout out to the Kiwanis. No hate, right? No hate. I love the Kiwanis. But we might as well be the Kiwanis if that's all that gathers us together. We're divinely forged. We're divinely bonded. What holds us together cannot be acquired through natural ways. But it's also the spirit that not only bonds us, but it's the spirit that gives us the impulse to come together. It's the spirit that drives us together. So, so notice after the arrival of the spirit, after the declaration of the gospel, immediately these 3,000 people now, even though these 3,000 people don't have, it's, it's, there's nothing that tells us that these 3,000 people all like the same things, all want to do the same things together. Hey, you like pizza? I like pizza. Let's go have pizza. That's not what we see in this text. But nevertheless, what we see is a desire for this group to want to be together. And you say, why is that happening? because the spirit is moving driving them towards one another verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers they devoted themselves collectively as a unit to these things the word devotion is rendered continue steadfastly it means to attend to something. It means to remain by the side of something. It means to not leave something. It means to not forsake something, to not depart from it. In other words, they did not depart. They did not forsake. They did not leave the side of the apostles' teaching. They remained connected to the apostles' teaching. They remained connected to prayer. They remained connected to fellowship. They remained connected to the breaking of bread. Devotion was a defining decision to pursue relationship with God in this new context that had been established around them called the church, God's family. Devotion was an insistence to go with this new group regardless of the persecution that may have come as a result of being with this new group. Because persecution was coming. Persecution was extremely possible, and not only possible, not only plausible, but real. It was happening as a result of being with this new group. Forsaking a family, the, 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 the family that they knew all of their lives was, at, was now threatening to depart from them. To be considered a Christian was enough to be rejected by your family. And yet they were devoted, they remained at the side of the apostles' teachings, at the side of prayer, at the side of fellowship with this new family, and at the side of breaking bread with this new family. 
devotion carried them in the midst of hardship. So in other words, we shouldn't be surprised that to do any of these things that we just described, prayer, fellowship, connected to God's teachings, that we shouldn't be surprised that that will lead to some inconvenience in your life. Devotion in these areas are a call to discomfort. Devotion in these areas are a call to inconvenience in other areas. Because devotion is a reordering and a restructuring of our priorities. Devotion is a reordering and a restructuring of our values. See, see what most of us want to do in Christianity is we want to be devoted to the Christian faith while remaining devoted to all of our other priorities and values, right? So I want to be a Christian, and I want to love Jesus. But Pastor B, you got to understand, I just got so much going on, right? I got to do this, I got to do that, and I got time for all this other. I mean, hey, I'll connect to Jesus every once in a while, but I got other stuff I got to stay connected to as well. But devotion requires a restructuring and a reordering of your priorities. One of the marks of the Spirit now living on the inside of these men and women was a restructuring of what was most important to them. Where they spent their time, where they spent their talent, where they spent their treasure, now all of a sudden shifts where they forged their allegiances, where they, where they were committed to, where they were devoted to, was reordered. Maybe they were devoted to leisure before. Maybe they were devoted to entertainment before. Maybe they were devoted to being wealthy or successful before. Maybe they were devoted to being a workaholic before. Maybe they were devoted to being a sportaholic before. Maybe they were devoted to just being isolated and by myself before. Maybe they were devoted to just being with my family before. I ain't got time for these other people. I just want to be with my family. Maybe they, maybe they were devoted to all of that before, but now as a result of the Spirit awakening them, now we see that they are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread with other saints. Now they are devoted to, in other words, the Lord, his mission, and his church. See, the shift in devotion changes everything, but what in particular are they devoted to? The apostles' teaching. Take that for one. The word of God, in other words. See, the word of God is the first item that they note. The, the new Christians were devoted to the word of God, and, and as a result of being devoted to the word of God, what that simply means is that now all of life runs through this filter of the word of God. They were devoted to that. In other words, they don't come across Scripture and say, hmm, I'm doing that. God's telling me not to do that. Yeah, I like doing that. Away, away from me. Right? Away from me, God. Let's go to the next Scripture. Oh, I'm not doing that. Okay, I'll do that, God. I mean, sometimes that's how we pick up and we take on Scripture, right? We read through it and we say, not doing that. Okay, I'll do that. I'll, I, I mean, I'll keep not doing that since I'm not doing that. Not doing that. Okay, I'll keep not doing that since I'm not doing that. Do that. Oh, I am doing that. Okay, that's good. I'll keep doing that then. Don't do that. Oh, 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 oh wait a second. I'm actually doing that. Oh, oh, God. 
asking for a little too much right now. Let's, let's skip to the next one. Don't do that. Wait a second, God. Do that. I'm not doing that, God. Come on, give me something. Give me, go back. Let's go back to the top of the list. Let's start back. That's kind of how we look at the Christian life. But devoted to the apostles' teaching means that when they heard what the, what the apostles said, they reordered their lives in light of what was said and not asked the teaching to reorder itself in light of what they were doing. You understand that? So they were devoted to this. Their commitment to the word and our commitment to the word is what, is what maintains a healthy spiritual community or what separates a healthy spiritual community from an unhealthy one. You know, we can get together and, 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 and do some stuff, you know, have some fish fries and some, order some chicken or whatever. But I mean, if we're not connected to the word, we won't last long. Because you're going to make me mad. I'm going to make you mad. God's going to say, forgiveness. God's going to say, leave your offering at the altar. Go and be reconciled with your brother. And if we don't take his word seriously, then I'm going to be like, you know, you're going to be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be like, I'm not going to do that either. And so eventually this whole thing is just going to blow up, right? Because sin's going to overtake it. So in order for us to remain a community, we have to remain devoted to the apostles' teachings. We have to remain devoted to the word of God. But not only did they remain devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the word of God, they remained devoted to prayer. It says, uh, it says that they were devoted to prayer. Devoted to the prayer. According to Westminster's Shorter Catechism, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Jesus Christ with confessions of our sins and thankful acknowledgement to him for his mercies. It's one, of the it's one of the tremendous graces that we have been given in the Christian life, but it's also one of the graces that we use the least. It's one of the most underutilized graces that we've been given in the Christian life. We simply do not pray. But here we find out that the early church was devoted to prayer. We talk about being, we talk, I mentioned a few things in that definition. One was adoration. Prayer is adoration. It is coming to the throne of grace and saying, Lord, I just give you praise for who you are. You are magnificent. You are amazing. The Lord's prayer acknowledges it by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. But it's not just adoration. Prayer is also confession. It is coming to God and it is laying yourself bare, acknowledging that, yes, I am sinful. Yes, I have strayed from your ways. Yes, I have fallen short of your glory. Yes, I did that. Yes, Lord, I did that. I know I wasn't supposed to do that, but I did it. Lord, I need your help in this area. Please forgive me through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, but not only forgive me, help me by the power of your spirit. Prayer is thanksgiving. It is a, it is a, it is a acknowledgement of what God has done in your life and what he is doing in the life of those around you and what he is doing in the life of the church. Thanksgiving is a barrier and a guard, to, um, a guard against murmuring and complaining. 
Most of the time we murmur and complain because we don't thank enough. Are you tracking with that? We simply have not gathered just how blessed we are. We don't calculate that, and so thus, the only thing that rises to the surface is complaints. I can't believe I ain't got no shoes to wear for this. You know, instead of saying, thank the Lord, I got like a whole bunch of shoes in this closet, right? We just, we, we look at the one pair of shoes that we don't have to match, you know, our, our, our peach outfit with our, you know, we want peach shoes to match our peach outfit. And then we complain about it. Can't believe I ain't got no money to wear these. It's like, dude, you got like a hundred pair of shoes in there. Thank God I got all these shoes, right? I'll just wear some brown ones. It'll be all right. But that's, that's our life. That's what we do. It's not just with our shoes, but it's, 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 with, it's with our house. We, 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 we walk through the house and we say, oh, man, we really need a new refrigerator. I mean, I'm tired of this stupid refrigerator. It's, you know, never keeps our food cold enough. It's like, man, thank God you got a refrigerator to keep your food cold. Period. You tracking with that? Let's back up. Thank God we got food. You know what I mean? Let's, let's back up a little bit. So, we, so we, have to be, we have to be mindful to offer thanksgiving because thanksgiving will guard us against the tendency to murmur as humanity. But it's not only adoration, it's not only confession, it's not only thanksgiving, it's actually supplication. In other words, it's making petition to God and saying, God, hey, th- this is what I need, Lord. I have desire, Lord. Here's, here's what I'm offering up to you. I'm asking you to give it to me, but never outside of your will. I don't want to have it if you don't want me to have it. Are you tracking with that? Notice that supplication comes at the end for us. Acts, the acronym is Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. A lot of times our prayers are not frequent, and then when they, are, when they, when they do come, they're the, the only thing that we have in them is the S. The supplication part, right? But prayer should be frequent communion with God. You should be devoted to prayers. Community, we should be devoted to prayers. But they're also devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to thanks. I mean, they're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to fellowship. Regarding fellowship, this is what one theologian says about fellowship. He says the first century Christ followers shared a common way of life. They were spiritually united as believers, and this spiritual union worked itself out into practical acts of love and support. Such fellowship with one another is tied to to the Christian's fellowship with God. Out of our common fellowship with God, through uh, God the Father, through Jesus, we enjoy fellowship with our spiritual brothers and sisters. If people are out of fellowship with Christ, then they will be out of fellowship with the church. And if people are out of fellowship with Jesus' people, that is an indicator that they may be out of fellowship with Jesus. That's how strong the Christ church union really is. There's people out there long-rangering Christianity and saying, it's just me and Jesus. And when you look through the scriptures, that does not, listen to me, that does not exist. It doesn't exist. Let me, how many times do we hear in the New Testament Paul say, one another? He says, encourage one another. Do not lie to one another. Love one another. Don't complain to others about one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. 
carry one another's burdens. You know, and, and, there, and, there's, and there's many more. There's many more. You hear it all throughout the New Testament. Do you know what long-ranger Christianity does with the one another's? Can't do anything with it. Who's the one another? You can't do anything with it. The ideal of Christianity being something that we are doing solo does not exist when you read the New Testament. Even Paul in prison asked his brothers and sisters to send people to be with him for fellowship and communion. Even when he is in prison, he doesn't say, I'm good. I don't need any of you guys. Y'all just stay where you're at. Me and Jesus, we're having great communion together. What we first need to understand about the one another's is that they were primarily referring to how the church relates to one another, not how the church relates to the rest of the world. See, while we should look to treat the rest of the world well, and we should look to do the things that Paul says do to one another. We should look to do those to the people in the world. The very term one another communicates that Paul was encouraging those who he was writing to to, com to, to commit to operating this way towards each other. And who was he writing to? He was writing to the church. And he says, church, do this to one another. But what we also need to understand about these one another's is that they highlight the reality that Paul didn't see the Christian church as a once on Sunday for an hour type of thing. I don't need any encouragement. Listen, I don't need any encouragement to, to love you guys well if all I'm doing is loving y'all once on that one hour once a week. I don't need any encouragement whatsoever to be hospitable to you. If all I'm doing is being hospitable to you one hour once a week, I don't need any encouragement to carry your burdens. If all I'm doing is carry your burden once an hour or, or once a week, um, and, and especially if that hour is filled with mostly singing and me talking. I definitely don't need any encouragement for any of that. So to take a step forward, not only do I not need any encouragement to do any of these things, I am being asked to only do them, if I'm only being asked to do them for one hour once a week, I can't do most of these things. I can't do most of those things. I can't encourage you. I can't carry your burden. I can't love you deeply. I can't be hospitable to you. I can't serve you. If all I got is one hour with you and most of that hour is filled with singing and preaching. Some of y'all are saying, man, that hour is enough for me, though. <laughs> That's plenty. I can't deal with these folks outside this hour. And, may, and maybe that's true, but, that, but that's a whole other issue. The reality is, is that's not what God is calling us to. That's not what Paul is urging us to when he says, do this with one another. When he's saying, do this to, with one another, he's talking about what we see in Acts chapter 2, fellowship. Deep and abiding fellowship. Without it, the one another's don't even work. 
But look what happens in verse 43. It says, and all, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So listen to this. They devoted themselves to teaching, to the prayers, to fellowship, the breaking of bread. And as a result, all came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. See, the first church as a community experienced the blessing of awe and the blessing of joy. But let me, let, me, let, me, let me pause there and let me say this. That blessing follows the devotion. The blessing is intertwined with the devotion. Are you tracking with that? So simply put, a lot of us want the blessing of community, but we don't want to put forth the devotion of community. Are you, are you tracking? You know, a lot of us talk about, man, you know, I just need some people, man, that I can, I can just be real with, right? Or I just, I just man, I just, I just need a community of believers, man, that just love Jesus and that'll love me and accept me and embrace me. But folks, let me, let, let me share something with you. You can't have that without giving up something. You can't have that on your clock. You, ha you can't have that on your time, on your effort. You know, you, you, in other words, you're going to deter, you're going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put the least amount of energy into it as I possibly can and reap every single benefit that I possibly can receive. The devotion precedes the blessing. Some people often say, what you put in is what you get out. And that oftentimes is the case with community. If you put nothing into community, you know, a lot of times we talk to people when we're, when we're, when we're you know, dealing in the life of the church, and, and, there are, and there are times where people say, man, I just, I just don't feel connected. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of times where that's true, but 90% of the time, matter of fact, 95% of the time that I've heard that, it has come from the mouth of a person who is not in the body life that's not attending things, that's not, that's not walking it out with people, that's not, that's not building relationships. They're basically just kind of, they're, they're, they're just kind of flowing in and out, just hopping in like a helicopter and then, or like a parachute drop and then jump, jumping back out. A few, few weeks later, they do another parachute drop and then they drop back out and they're not connected to the community. So let me urge you in this. If you connect to the community, you'll receive the blessing of community. Now, with the connection comes the difficulty of community. And so that's why most of us don't connect, right? Because we're concerned about the difficulty that comes with connection. We say, man, I don't want to connect with those people because at some point, I know they're going to hurt me. Or I don't want to connect with those people because at some point, somebody's going to be messy. Well, I don't want to connect with those people because at some point, you know, we come up with all these reasons why we don't connect. And many of those reasons are true and accurate. But you miss the blessing if you don't connect. So like walking out of your car or walking to your cars today, there's a reality that you could get hit. There's a reality that you could be hit. There's a reality that you could hit somebody else. Does that stop you from driving? You know why? 
because the gains of driving outweigh the risk involved in being hit. Are you, are you following me? Sometimes we're worried about being hit in the life of the church rather than worrying about the blessing that comes in the community of the church. You have to risk being hit in order to get to the blessing. You have to. You can avoid the risk. You cannot do it. But don't look for the blessing if you decide to opt out. Do you understand? The first church as a community, they thrived and they survived together. Verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Well, let me just share this. There is is nothing that communicates to us that they gave up everything. And and here's the reason why you know that. Because the very next verse talks about, or the very verse, the very verse, uh, yeah, the very next verse talks about them meeting house to house. So it's not like they sold everything and became vagabonds. Does that that make sense? But this is what's being communicated here. What's being communicated here is that the community thrived and survived together. There was no no such thing as, man, you know, so-and-so. Just don't know, man. It's going to be tight on them, boy. Man, I'm not even sure if they got anything to eat over there. All right, so what are we eating tonight? Out back? All right, let's go. That's, that was not how the church handled life. As the, as the church observed needs within itself and needs were brought to the forefront, the church came together and said, okay, how do we meet this need for our family member? Are you tracking with that? They brought the need and they handled the need collectively. And so they shared their goods in order to distribute them in such a way so that no lack existed amongst them. They survived together. They thrived together. Paul said that they rejoiced together. They wept together. In other words, words, they shared in one another's lives in such a way where your pain became my pain. Your tears of joy became my tears of joy. When you had a baby... We celebrate. We all had a baby. Not quite, but you know what I mean. But it's, but it's our family. And so they survived and they thrived together. This is family. Your celebration or one celebration is a collective celebration. If somebody gets a job in this room, share it with your brothers and sisters so we can celebrate with you together. Somebody makes president's list in this room. Shout out to Gloria Polk. Celebrate it together. Celebrate it together. Are you tracking with that? Because we're family, and so we rise together. We survive together. We thrive together. Verse 46 shows us that the church was not a community confined by space or time. You look at verse 46, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The first church demonstrates to us that community is not a time that we meet. It says they met day by day together. 
They ate together day by day. They received, they received a or they praised God together day by day. They were favored by the people around their community together day by day. Community is not a thing that's confined by time. It's not one hour on a Sunday. This is family. But notice that it's not just the frequency that he highlights, but it's also the locations that Luke highlights. It says that they attended the temple together and they broke bread in homes together. In these words, the first church demonstrates to us that community is not a place that we go. The church, we talk about it all the time, it means the ecclesia, the assembly. The church does not mean building in the Greek. The church means the assembly of people. So the church is not a building. The church is the people. Where the people go, the church goes. Where the collection or the, collect, the collective goes, the church goes. The church of Jesus Christ is a family that eats together, meets together, and, and, and meets together and eats together and dines together and prays together daily and dines together, prays together and eats together in different places. And, and they do all of that as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. They do all of that as friends, as family. I know, I know you often hear us say, come to missional community, right? Or you often hear us say, I have missional community tonight. And we aren't legalistic about that. We aren't, we aren't going to be, you know, throwing up church discipline if you don't say it the right way. <laughs> but we must be careful about when we say it, what we're thinking, right? Because we give the impression to ourselves and to other people around us that missional community is a once-a-week thing at somebody's house. No, missional community isn't confined to a time or space. That's our family meal that we do once a week at somebody's house. Missional community is the gathering of people, period. So missional community is the community, not the place, not the time. Your missional community is not limited to that. It's the same thing with this church. Your church is not limited to this moment. Lastly, we look at verse 30, 47, and it says, praising God having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. He added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice that in the midst of community, the mission is not lost. Right? So, so never lose sight of why, of, of, of the, of, of the, the goals as we are operating in community. Sometimes we can get lost in community, right? And it can be all about us. And it becomes internal. Just like me and my church family, we just love each other and we're family and we do everything together and we eat together and it's fantastic and we pray together and I'm growing in Jesus and, and, and all of that is great, folks, okay? That is fantastic. But make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that while we are doing all of this together, souls, souls should be pre being pursued together. That the mission of God is not lost in community. The mission of God is enhanced in community. Now, instead of me going out by myself, I go out with my church family to make disciples. 
Are you following that? Now, instead of me, um, it, it, when, when I receive the discouragement of rejection by somebody who says, I'm not feeling that Jesus, now instead of me having to hold that rejection or to carry that rejection alone, I can share that with my church family and say, man, y'all pray for me. I'm really bummed, man. I was building up all this courage to share the gospel with this uh, brother this week or this sister this week, and they totally just blew it off, man. Can y'all pray for me right now? You talk, are you tracking with that? We are not meant to live only inward. Our, inward. our inwardness should create strength for our outwardness. Our life as family should strengthen us for the mission of God, not hinder us in the mission of God. So notice that as this group is walking in this devotion and as they are gaining strength as disciples and as they are growing as family and as they are eating together, praying together, worshiping together, notice that souls are being added because that group is still mindful of the mission of God even as they are operating within the confines of their family. We must walk this out and, know, and, and understand something. We must walk this out, but we must walk this out for the sake of souls. See, it's when, it's when people get a chance to look in and see bona fide, genuine community that people all of a sudden have reason to turn their attention towards Jesus. Are you tracking with that? It's when they see this room full of people, black, white, young, old, coming from different political backgrounds, coming from different walks of life, with different styles of music. It's when they see this collection of people coming together that they begin to say, well, hold on a second. How did they come together? And when the answer is Jesus, then the response may be, well, I want to know more about this Jesus. See, it's when the awe is being on display in the community that the souls take notice. And so let us pursue this family, amen? Loneliness is real. But community is as well. God has given you a remedy for the isolation that this world brings us. God has given you a remedy for the absence of family. God has given you a remedy, and that remedy is his church. So devote yourself to the life of his church and receive the blessing that comes with that devotion.